Hey, and welcome to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. At Cows, we like to keep things simple. We are committed to verse-by-verse teaching through the Bible to help people know, love, and become fully committed followers of Jesus. It is our prayer and hope that this message challenges, encourages, and equips you to that end. As most of you are aware, we're in the fifth week of Ephesians, going verse by verse. And if you recall, the series is split into different sections, the sit, walk and stand sections. We're still in the sit part. We sit in these spiritual blessings of the Father, Son and Spirit, but we walk in them and we stand in them together as God's people. Today's passage is Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, and I invite you to just open up your Bible, your device, and um, open up to that passage, 11 to 22. And um, we're going to be concentrating on the topic of oneness and unity today. These days, people like to throw around words of inclusivity, diversity, and tolerance. And in a society that is using those terms, you'd think they'd be more engage with each other, more united. But as I look around, it's probably a more polarised society than we've ever had before. And it seems that as soon as you start asking questions or you have a bit of a different opinion to someone else, no longer does tolerance apply. It's either you agree with the mainstream, you're in or you're out. And such polarisation can also happen with us as believers, a group of believers. And that's what the message is today with Paul, um, where he talks about people that, uh, a group that should have been uniting people, drawing them to Jesus, but in actual fact, people are being alienated. And when it happens in a religious context, in some respects, it does more damage than not in the normal um, culture that we live in. So Jesus prayed in um, John 17, 21, that all believers would be one, just as he and the Father were one, and that all believers would be in them, the true on God, the three in one. That prayer is an amazing prayer that I still struggle to get my head around today. The God of the universe, the God of love, the God of life, wants to have a relationship and be in us, and us in him. So before we get into Ephesians, let's um, just pray. Father in heaven, what a mighty God you are. Your purposes are just so amazing and beyond our comprehension. A people, a fallen race like us, but you still care about us and you want to draw us near and you want to be one with us, Lord. As we read your word and study it, may you reveal more of yourself to us, more of you as we draw and draw us closer to you, that we might share your love with those around us. In your name we pray. Amen. So please turn to Ephesians um, 2, 11 to 13. Um, Dave, if you could just go to slide 3. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
When I first read this, this passage, I thought, in my contemporary mind, Christian mindset, okay, that's pretty clear enough. I was separated by my sin, but through the resurrection and death and resurrection of Jesus, I am now all sorted. And it sort of makes sense from what John was reading and sharing with us last week. We were dead in our sins, we were saved through grace, uh, by grace through faith. And that is the now. But in this passage, Paul takes a bit more of a corporate approach, not just the individual. And he's starting to introduce the topic of oneness and unity within the body of Christ. So to start making that point, Paul refers to, the, refers to the former time before either the Jews or the Gentiles have obtained the gracious gift of salvation. Introducing a stark contrast, reminding that the Gentiles in the audience of how they were viewed by unbelieving and sometimes believing Jews. The view that the Jews had that the Jews had of the Gentiles resulted in being separated, alienated and strangers, being far from God, without God and having no hope, no hope for a future. But I'm sure that Paul wasn't just taking aim at his fellow countrymen. He was just using this as an example to get across his message. I think in Paul's mind he knew that even though God had freed Israel from the oppression of the Egyptians, they soon started to oppress others. And so what Paul is doing here is not just pointing out to the Jews' fault, but also what humankind is likely to do, in that they will take advantage of, the situ of any blessing that they've received. And it's a trap that humankind can fall too easily into. Not long ago, only less than 30 years ago, 1994 was one of the bloodiest hundred days in recent human history. The Rwandan conflict where over 800,000 to a million people were slaughtered in just a hundred days. It was a tribal conflict, pent up hatred, pent up fear, pent up pride, overflowing in such an atrocity that it's hard to comprehend. And we're seeing that in Myanmar a little bit now as well. Cultural pride, it's what happens in every culture, every subculture. It's human beings being so arrogant or insecure that we find something to grab onto in our world that gives us meaning and identity and purpose. And for some people, it's tribe and ethnicity. Or it's our music, it's our history, it's our heritage. It's us, and that's who I am. But it's not you. In fact, you could be my enemy. Or we're a scapegoat. And that you when you get Rwanda. But often it's more subtle than that. And all too often it can happen in circles, Christian circles as well. So I've tried to um, make it clear, I've put it in a slide, next slide, uh, Dave, where in this passage Paul's outlining a cause, he's, caused, he's outlining a solution and the outcome. And it's a title, a problem I've called the exclusivity problem. It was a real, very, very real issue in, to the mainly Gentile audience that Paul was writing to. While Paul focuses on his fellow Jews that cause a problem, it's important to remember that it's a human problem and we consciously or unconsciously participate in it. However, this, you know, this, what, sorry, excuse me. From a human perspective, the Israelites were every reason to think of themselves as special, privileged, honoured and above every other nationality. 
After all, there are people whose very existence was, came into being from God who promised to Abraham that they would be a nation who would be blessed and blessed others. God miraculously released them from slavery. God's presence guided them and sustained them in the wilderness. God gave them special instructions on how to live. God dwelt among them visibly in the tent. He gave them special instructions on how to live. God won many battles for them. And they were able to capture many cities and lands thanks to God's presence and overwhelming power. However, the downside was that this led to a strong sense of nationalism, pride, arrogance that placed their race above every other race and culture, causing them to intentionally separate and alienate themselves. Think of the parable of the Good Samaritan or the woman at the well, and those attitudes were very prevalent at the time. If you're not one of us, you're out, you're an enemy. Israel, who was meant to be the bridge between God and the surrounding nations, turned out instead of building a bridge, built a wall of hostility. A wall of hostility made people feel like strangers, alienated, without hope and without God and far off. And this drawing here on the screen, you see it's a, the temple, an artist's impression of what the temple looked like. And encircled around um, the red part there is where it was called a balustrade. And that was where foreigners could go to, but no further. And on the stone up there, it said this. No stranger is to enter within the balustrade around the temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught will himself be responsible for, ensuring, for his ensuring death. Not very inviting. The one nation who had the privilege of knowing the truth about God and the way of being reconciled to him kept this knowledge to themselves exclusively and they kept others out. But this wasn't the way God intended to. In fact, as one writer writes, God's self-revelation at the time of the Exodus was to ensure that the Egyptians would know him and that his name would be proclaimed in all the earth. The mixed multitude that joined the Exodus indicates that many Egyptians came to know Yahweh and he overthrew their gods, as he overthrew their gods. By establishing his covenant with Israel and setting them apart as his treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, God actually intended that they were actively representing him to the nations around them. And if you look at Numbers 15, 14 to 16, it says, if a, this is God's instructions to the Israelites, if a stranger is sojourning with you or anyone living permanently among you and he wishes to offer food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord, he shall do as you do. For the assembly, there shall be one statute for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you, a statute forever throughout your generations. You and the sojourner shall be alike before the Lord. One law and one rule shall be for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. Not only did God allow the non-Israelites to live in Israelite land, they were allowed to participate in the temple service, which had the purpose of reconciling and drawing them nearer to the presence of God. Non-Israelites were to have the same rights and were equal before God. 
Also remember Jonah and the Ninevites. Jonah didn't want to go, but the whole purpose was that he was going to help the Ninevites come back to God and repent and be reconciled. Jonah wasn't even happy when they actually did repent, as you remember. So the Israelites, the nationalistic attitudes that they had, instead of drawing people to them, to God, they alienated. So let's go back to Ephesians. And I've circled the phrase, which is made by flesh, in the flesh by hands. Paul's view of circumcision in 1 Corinthians 7.19 was that there was that neither circumcision nor non-circumcision counted for anything now that Jesus had come. By using the words in this passage here, in the flesh, by hands, Paul was clearly stating the root cause of the situation that caused the great gulf between the Jews and the Gentiles. It was not a man-made gulf. It was not, sorry, not a God-made gulf. It was a man-made one. In the typical Jewish mindset, the Gentiles were uncircumcised, meaning that they were excluded from God's favour that God promised to their father Abraham and the covenant that he had made, God had made with them at his Sinai. And so in one corporate sense, the cause of the Gentiles being kept away from God was an attitude of exclusivity, elitism, prejudice and hostility towards foreigners called Gentiles or uncircumcised. Paul was telling his audience, this is not what God intended. And the good news is that he had a solution that had already been enacted, which leads us to the middle section of this passage. Ephesians 2, 13 to 18. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What a turnaround. But now in Christ Jesus, it denotes the contrast between the, present, the previous condition and their present condition. Jesus was the solution to our impossible situation. In this context, the reference is to their being brought near to God, not by being turned into a Jew, but by being included along with the Jew in Christ Jesus. In Paul's mind, the Jews were nearer to God because they had the revelation of God and the sacrificial system, which was supposed to signify the coming near of God to God anyway through a representative of a blood and the blood of an innocent animal. The Gentiles, being kept out of Jewish society, were further away from God than the Jews. But now, by the work of Christ, both Jew and Gentile have been brought near to God. On the cross, Jesus brought peace and reconciliation between the Jews and the Gentiles in this new union. Because at the foot of the cross, it's a level playing field. We're all sinners. We're all just as bad as each other. 
We all need a saviour to free us from the hostage, hostility, bondage, alienation and incorrect views we have of each other and the wrong identities we find ourselves holding on to. And in Galatians 3.28, what comes to mind is there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no female nor female, for all are one in Christ. The two are brought together as one. And in the same section, Paul identifies the decrees of the Torah referred to as the law of commandments as being at the very root or source of Jews justifying their privileged position and to separate themselves, to exclude non-Jews and to be able to look down on others. If you read that just as it is, it seems like the law has just been abolished, it's been done away with. But I have a bit of a different opinion. I still believe that we shouldn't be killing, we shouldn't be coveting, we shouldn't be committing adultery. The law is still there, and if you read Romans 7, it's very clear what the law is there to do. The holiness of God hasn't disappeared, and that's a reflection of God's holiness. But what has been abolished is what the Jews used it for. The Jews used it as justifying their their higher status than the Gentiles. The Jews have started believing that that was only for them and they were somehow better. But this is in stark contrast to the underlying meaning of the, the sacrificial system, which I've talked about, or the ordinances that Paul refers, refers to there. And this shows what human nature often does with something that's good. The law was good. The law is good. But often, whatever is something that is good, we take as human beings and we use it for our own ends. We alienate others, we hurt others in the process. But by the blood of Jesus Christ, both Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles alike, were able to be reconciled to God and each other. The long-awaited Jewish Messiah was not just for Jews, he is for us all. Jesus is my representative just as much as he is yours and our Jewish brothers and sisters who choose him as their saviour. Hostility is to be replaced with peace. Hate is to be overcome by love for God and particularly each other. Romans 8.39 comes to mind when nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the solution of the problem of perceived exclusivity is that sacrifice of Jesus in his broken body and in his life that he gave away. It reconciles us and brings peace to all who believe in him. No one has justification to exclude others from that free gift. It is offered universally. And now for the climax, the outcome. Ephesians 2, 19-22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure has been joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Just dwell on that for a moment. We are one. 
with God, the household of God, structure being held together by God, being built in him, and here's the kicker, built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Not only do we have a new status, just like a foreigner in a foreign land is given citizenship, we also become citizens of heaven. But we're also part of a new establishment, the body of Christ. And it's founded upon Jesus, who joins everything together, and the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Note the passive tense, having been built or being built. This is something that is done to us, it's not something we do ourselves. God is the subject of the building, we are the recipients of his action. And so the problem of exclusivity is overcome. The cause of humanity desiring to be an admired, exclusive club that attempts to keep those not in the club at a distance or far off, the solution is that we're all equal at the foot of the cross and able to universally accept the gift of salvation by faith. We are fellow citizens with the redeemed of all ages. The believers today are neither Jews nor Gentiles, but are Christians who pray and give praise to God together, as all the saints in the former generations before us. The emphasis here has been on the unified growth of this building the body of believers into a temple, a temple God dwells in through the Holy Spirit. We can trust each other. We can encourage each other. We can learn from each other. And as a result, we can share God's love with those around us. As we reflect on this, I just encourage us to uh, look to build bridges, not walls. And that's a message from Paul today. Let's just pray. Lord God, we need you. As human beings, we alienate each other. We cling on to things that will build us up. The temporary, but you are the solid foundation. Help us to find our identity in you, to cling to you and to each other, be able to encourage one another and be the light that you have for us, in us. You are dwelling in us. We just give you praise. It blows our mind. Lord, just be in us and in this community, Lord. Help us to share your love. We give you praise. We give you honour. Help us to love others. Help us to break down, tear down the walls that are around us and to build bridges that draw people closer to you, that they may see who you are, a God who is all-powerful and mighty, but also a God of love, a God of the great creator, a God of life, who each of us needs, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's message. We just pray that you help your, us to listen and your Holy Spirit will mould us to be the people you have us to be. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. If you'd like to check out more of our teachings, please visit ccn.org.au forward slash teachings.